We all struggled through that song. <laughs> and we struggled together. That's what matters. <laughs> all right. Our scripture reading this morning comes from uh, Mark the 8th chapter, verses 27 through 30. Hear now the word of our Lord. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do people say that I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he said, who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. This is the word of God. May it find its way into our hearts and lives this morning by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. So, I love to read. I always have. Um, in the last 10 years or so, I've, I've taken to reading on my iPad more than actually reading physical books. And on the iPad, they can replicate just about everything. You know, you can flip the pages and uh, you can see the page numbers and... Um, and I'm not one of those people that just has to have the physical book. Some people do, and I get that. The part I miss the most, though, is going to the bookstore. When you get on the Amazon thing and, and you scroll through different books, it's not the same as being in that physical bookstore and just looking around. I remember when I was a kid, uh, my, my mom would take us to the bookstore. We had a huge bookstore in Lexington, Kentucky called Joseph Beth. And we would go into that bookstore and it was two stories. It was two floors. And we would just look around for hours and she'd tell us we could get one book and, you know, it would take hours to decide. And you could sit down with the book, and you could uh, and you could um, read half the book before you decided if you wanted to buy it. And I just loved looking at all the covers and choosing the next book I was going to buy. And I still do, even though I read most of my books on the iPad. I love to just walk through a Barnes and Noble. Um, I love to just see what's out. And I, I, I think I know why. When you're going through a Barnes and Noble, it's like you're walking through uh, like the brain of America, right? It, you see what's on all of our minds, the things we're thinking about and talking about. You see the biographies of all the latest celebrities, right? The people that are really important in this moment, you see um, all the political conversations that are going on, right, in this moment. Uh, you can uh, uh, buy a book um, that, that will tell you any opinion you want to hear, 
right? Um, you, you see um, all the latest from science and technology. You see just, uh, just what is going on in America right now. Who we are as a people is all displayed on the shelves of Barnes & Noble. If you went to Barnes & Noble um, uh, after lunch today and you walked around and you just sort of thought about who we are as a people um, some things would become very obvious to you very quickly. We are a religiously diverse people. Um, some preachers rail against that, but actually that's kind of what's great about America, right? We're a religiously diverse people. There's room for everyone here. But at the same time, the flip side is that means we're also kind of a religiously confused people, Right? Um, you, you walk through Barnes and Noble and everyone's hawking something and everyone has answers to your spiritual problem. You can see books about um, uh, uh, chakras and you can see uh, books about, um, about, about auras and you can see uh, uh, books um, about positive thinking. You know, if you just think the right thoughts, then, you, then your life uh, will line up the right way. You, you see uh, uh, books um, uh, proving the virtue and value of every major religion. Um, you, you just see, walking through Barnes & Noble, wow, we are a spiritually diverse and spiritually confused people. And I say spiritually confused because uh, one person walking through Barnes & Noble may pick up three or four of those books, offering three or four different answers to life's problems, and they'll read them all. And how will they make sense of which ones are right and which ones are healthy and which ones lead uh, to bad outcomes, right? We're a spiritually confused people. We're searching. You don't need me to tell you. Um, Throughout our culture, throughout America, attendance in church is declining. Everywhere, across the board. Some, some denominations are declining quicker than others, but we're all on this kind of downward trajectory. People are losing interest in church. Um, typically, uh, 40% of Americans uh, tell people in Gallup polls that they go to church every Sunday. And experts say it's probably half that, right? People want to tell pollsters that they go to church every Sunday, but their lives don't quite match up to their perception of themselves. But at the same time that interest in church is declining, Interest in Jesus has never been higher. Interest in Jesus has never been higher. Walk through your Barnes and Noble. Look at all the books about Jesus. Start out in the literature section. People are still today writing literature about Jesus. Some of it's like controversial right? Like the Da Vinci Code or, um, or 
lamb, the gospel according to Jesus' childhood friend Biff, right? Uh, some, of that, some of that's controversial. Some of it you'll find like uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, or did you know that was about Jesus? About Jesus. Um, you'll, you'll find find books like the Joshua series that's uh, about uh, it's a modern day uh, retelling of the story of Jesus. Um, people are still writing literature about Jesus. Um, you go to the history section, you'll find different historians' opinions about Jesus, and they range from like. Uh, 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 Jesus existed, but he was probably nothing like what the gospels say he is to, um, to people that defend um, the veracity of the gospels and then people that say that like Jesus never existed at all. But you find in the history section, people are writing about Jesus. You go to the biography section. People have written biographies about Jesus. But then you start looking at all these other biographies uh, athletes and, and singers and, and whatnot, you get to the middle of the biography and they talk about their turning point. A lot of those turning points have to do with some encounter with Jesus, right? You go to the science section. You're going to see books proving and disproving the miracles of Jesus, you go to the politics section. I don't know why you go there, but you go there. And you'll find books like proving that Jesus was a Republican. And you'll find books proving that Jesus was a Democrat, right? Newsflash, in first century Palestine, there were not Republicans and Democrats. They had their whole other system. Um, but you see all these books about Jesus in places you wouldn't expect them. You go to the travel section. You can find books in the travel section about uh, going to the Holy Land and retracing Jesus' footsteps. You go to the art section and you can uh, get books uh, uh, of how Jesus has been depicted in art throughout the ages. I don't know if there are books about uh, gargling with Jesus and nigging Jesus, but there probably are, right? And you go to the children's section, Lord, in the children's section, right? You've got, you've got all kinds of books about Jesus, devotionals for children. You've got storybooks. You've got comic book Jesus, my personal favorite. Then you go to that left side where all the like CDs and DVDs are, right? You find movies about Jesus and the songs about Jesus. There has never been any, there has never been more music about Jesus, right, than today. People are interested in Jesus, right? These, they wouldn't, Barnes and Noble is not a Christian bookstore. They wouldn't be selling these books if they weren't selling these books. You know what I'm saying? Right? They wouldn't be selling these books if they weren't selling these books. Then you go to the religions, the religion section. Right? Every major religion, you're going to find books about Jesus. One I read in college uh, by a Buddhist writer is the Living Buddha, Living Christ. And it talked about, you know, like the parallels between Jesus and Buddha. 
You'll find, uh, you'll find books on Jesus by, by Muslim scholars. You'll find books on Jesus um, by uh, Jewish rabbis that, 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 that will illuminate the Jewishness of Jesus. And then go to the Christian section. Yeah, Jesus is still a big deal in Christianity, right? Lots of books about Jesus. Jesus calling, what would Jesus do? Um, the search for the real Jesus, the case for Christ, right? It goes on and on and on, the Jesus books. Then they've got a whole wall of Bibles in Barnes and Noble. They wouldn't be selling them if they weren't selling, right? They've got a whole wall of Bibles in Barnes and Noble. Every translation, every print size, right? And you open those Bibles... Four books about Jesus, right? And then if you count all the, uh, the New Testament writings, and then, you know, if you really want to dig into the Old Testament writings, they're kind of about Jesus too, right? You got like 66 books about Jesus, right? Just in the Bible. People have never been more interested in Jesus, but they've never been more confused about who Jesus is. If you were to look at all those covers of all of those books, you'd find a thousand different opinions about who this man was and what he came to say and what he came to do. And yet 2,000 years later, we still find ourselves captivated and fascinated by this person. And as I walk through Barnes and Noble, that question echoes in my head. The one Jesus asked of his disciples at Caesarea of Philippi, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? The first century didn't have a Barnes and Noble. And uh, I'd like to think that uh, Jesus would have taken his disciples to the Barnes and Noble um, if he could have, uh, but, uh, but they didn't have one, and it's probably just as well because most of the disciples couldn't read anyways. But Jesus did take them to this place called Caesarea of Philippi. And more than any other place in Israel, this place sort of... Uh, captured the religious confusion of first century Palestine. See, um, it was the northernmost region of Israel, Caesarea of Philippi, and, um, and it was right in the border uh, between the Jewish world and the Gentile world. And so the people that lived there had one foot in each world, Right? They had to maintain their, uh, their faithfulness to their religion, but they also had to fit in with their neighbors, right? And so there was this spirit of religious confusion in Caesarea Philippi. And just the landscape, you look around there. Uh, there at Caesarea Philippi, there's a, a giant grotto um, to the god Pan. You know, Pan, he's got like the goat legs and the horns and the flute, Right? There, there's like people actually worship that, right? And uh, there was a big grotto to the god Pan. He was a god of fertility, right? And this uh, grotto would have existed for about 300 years during Jesus' day. 
right? And so these faithful Jews living in that area every day would see this symbol of pagan religion. There was also, more recently, built by Herod the Great, there was a white marble temple dedicated uh, to Caesar Augustus. It was a place where people could go worship the emperor and where people were strongly encouraged to go worship the emperor. That's why the place was called Caesarea, right? Because uh, the whole place was dedicated to the Caesar. And you were supposed to go to this pagan temple and worship the emperor. And so Jesus took them, took them to this place that's full of this religious confusion, right? Because he wanted to get to the bottom of something. See, there's, there's been this question brewing in the Gospel of Mark. And we're at the midpoint. We're at the turning point in the Gospel of Mark. And there's been this question that the disciples keep asking. Who is this man? Remember when Jesus calms the storm, the disciples look at each other and they say, Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? And there's a lot of confusion about who Jesus is and what he's here to do and what he's all about. And Jesus wants to clarify. Jesus wants to finally let his disciples in on who he is and what his mission is. And so he brings them to Caesarea of Philippi, uh, the Barnes and Noble of their day, right? The center of religious confusion to ask them the simple question. First, who do people say that I am? The crowds, everyone out there, what are they saying about me? And they're saying great things about Jesus, nice things about Jesus, right? Uh, the first thing they say is that, uh, is that you're John the Baptist. See, John the Baptist was a very popular prophet. The people loved him. And uh, uh, the people in power didn't love him, uh, like King Herod, uh, because uh, he told it like it was. And, uh, and, and he wound up getting his head chopped off because of that. Well, here comes another powerful prophet, right, who, who, uh, who works many wonders. And there's this rumor that starts going around that John the Baptist has come back, uh, that, um, that, you know, um, Elvis is not dead, right? Someone spotted him in Galilee, right? Um, and so, uh, and so, so this rumor starts that Jesus is actually John the Baptist come back to life. Herod catches wind of this in the Gospel of Mark, and, and, uh, and, and he's actually kind of terrified by it. <laughs> what have I done, right? And so this isn't a bad thing to say about Jesus. This is no slander. It's, it's a high compliment to say, say you're like this, uh, this great prophet. They say some people say you're Elijah. Elijah was considered the greatest of the prophets, Remember, Elijah doesn't even die. He gets uh, taken up into heaven in a fiery chariot. And um, in, uh, in, um, in Joel, um, we're told that, uh, that before, um, before the Messiah comes back, um, 
Elijah will come again. He will come down from heaven and he will um, herald uh, the time when the Messiah comes back. So to say that Jesus is Elijah, like that's a compliment. That's no slander, right? But at the end of the day, whether Jesus is John the Baptist or Elijah or uh, one of the prophets, at the end of the day, He's just some guy, right? You go into your Barnes and Noble, and um, and you just uh, uh, took all of the books about Jesus off the shelves, and you could arrange them into two stacks, right? You could arrange them into uh, into uh, the stack that says Jesus. Is, is the Messiah, he's everything he claimed he was, and Jesus is just some guy, right? All of those books are versions of those two stories, right? He's either the Messiah or he's just some guy. He's either the son of God or just a wise teacher, right? You could arrange all those books into two stacks. And so... Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, how about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter? He doesn't get a lot right. In fact, um, we're going to read the very next story next week and he gets a lot wrong in that one. But for just this moment, he straightens himself up He stands tall and he says, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. What does that mean? Um, We've come to think of Christ as like Jesus' last name or something, right? Jesus Christ, right? The word Christ is, is Greek for anointed one. Jesus is the anointed one. More specifically, he's the Messiah. He is the one who has been anointed to, uh, to, to deliver his people. He is the one who has come to save, to deliver. Peter says, the guy we've been hoping for, the guy we've been praying for, the guy that all our hopes are pinned on, the guy that is anointed to set everything straight, the guy that, 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 that will save our very souls, that's you. It's pretty incredible. Like I said, the disciples, most of them are fishermen. They don't read. What Bible they know They've memorized when they were in grade school. They've not had the hindsight of of all these stacks of books about Jesus. They've just spent a little time with him. Just had a little personal experience with him. This guy delivers people from demons, 
We've seen people who, who have been paralyzed be like uh, raised, raised up. Um, we've seen him calm the storm. It's more than that, though. Is he's so holy and he's so compassionate, compassionate in everything he does. There is something different about this person. This is not just your uh, ordinary miracle worker. This guy is the Christ. He's the one. He's the one who has come to save. What separates us from disciples? What separates us as disciples from the rest of the world? It's not that we think highly of Jesus. It's not that we're big fans. What you discover walking around Barnes and Noble is everyone's a fan, right? Everyone's got good things to say about Jesus, right? Uh, he's a great teacher. He, you know, if you just followed his teaching, the world would be a greater place, right? But what separates us from the rest, what separates disciples from the whole rest of the crowd is we're the one who looked to Jesus as the Christ, the one who can save. You see, this stack of books If Jesus is just some guy, then his bones are in a tomb somewhere. And he's not in your heart, and he's not making a difference in your life. It's all your imagination. But if this stack is right, if he's the Christ, if he's everything he claims to be and everything he says he is, then no tomb can hold him. And he's alive and he's active in your heart. He's, he's changing you from the inside out. See the difference? There, there's really no in-between here. He's either some guy, and now he's dust and bones, or he's what he says he is. And he's alive and he's burning in our hearts. There's really no in-between for disciples. Think for a second. How would you answer the question, how do you know Jesus is real? Someone asks you point blank, like when you least expect it. How would you answer that question? How do you know Jesus is real? I know how I would answer that question because I've been asked that question. Um, Every year I go to Camp Dickinson. I love going to Camp Dickinson. It is like, uh, especially uh, for a minister in residence, which is what they call me, the Mur. Um, I get to go to Camp Dickinson, and I'm in charge of devotion in the morning, campfire at night. Other than that, I do whatever I want, right? Um, I go hiking if I want to. I uh, make homemade ice cream. I just, like, hang out and do what I want. It's a cool gig. Um, two years ago, I was, uh, I was finishing up um, morning devotion, and um, a teenage girl comes up to me. She's about 17. Her name's Ashley, and, um, and, and she asked me point blank, how do you know Jesus is really real? You know what I said? A whole lot of alphabet soup, right? <laughs> 
Like, I wasn't expecting the question. I had wrapped up, with, which was a pretty good devotion that I had planned out, right? And uh, this question just, like, caught me off guard. And um, I should be ready to answer questions like that, right? And, uh, and I just, it was just a whole lot of mess. I really don't remember what it was. I was just, like, uh, trying to just uh, say enough words until the right ones came out. And uh, she said, thank you, and, and, and she left, and I felt like I had done a pretty terrible job. By the grace of God, I got a second chance. Um, after campfire that night, Ashley came back up to me and uh, asked if we could talk. And so... Um, Usually at campfire, at camp, there's like, um, it's like this grace period between campfire and when you have to go to bed, um, and anyone that needs to like spend time with God and prayer or whatever can stay at the campfire and spend a little time there. And so there were people like, um, plucking the guitar and, and people praying by the river. And we just sat on a log and at Camp Dickinson, you look up in the sky and you see every star God ever made. And, uh, and we're sitting on that log and, um, and talking. And um, I said, uh, so that question you asked me earlier today, I feel like I did a terrible job answering it. <laughs> and she said, no, you, you, you did all right. Um, and then I said, again, I don't want to sound like I'm bragging because I told you what a mess I am on my own. Right, I just did a terrible job with the question. This was like the Holy Spirit, okay? And so I was talking to Ashley, and I said, why did you ask me that question? And she began to tell me about her life. She said, you know, um, no one in my family is really a believer. And in fact, my, my mother is a devout atheist, and none of them really want me to be uh, at a Christian camp this week. Um, but I'm here with some friends. Um, I've been going to youth group for the last four or five years. Um, I went to, uh, I went to resurrection and, uh, gave my life, um, to Jesus. And it was such an important experience in my life. And, uh, I've been trying to follow Jesus ever since. But she said, last year, I was um, raped by one of the boys in the youth group. And she said she told her church about it, and no one believed her. Uh, that um, Everyone said, well, that, that boy's a good boy, and you're just, you're just trying to make trouble. And she said, you know, that's got me so, so mad at the church. And, you know, if... If everyone really believes in Jesus, why are they treating me this way? You know? What do you say after something like that? I didn't have words. I truly, truly, truly believe I did not have words. I truly, truly, truly believe the Holy Spirit gave me words. And I looked at her and said, It is so amazing to me that you are here right now. 
It is so amazing to me that you are here right now. No one in your church is backing you up. No one in your family wants you to be here. And yet there's a part of you that is reaching out and that is asking questions and that is trying to connect. And she says, you know, it's like there's a part of me that needs to believe, needs to trust, and needs to hope in something bigger than myself. And for me, that's always been Jesus. And I said, for me, it's always been Jesus too. I can't answer every question you have. I'll make a mess of it. But I know this. Jesus is who has saved me. Jesus is who has made a difference in my life. Jesus is who has changed me from this greedy, selfish person to someone that wants to sit here on a log and talk to you. That's all I know. You see, there's some things you just can't read in a book. You can know all the facts there is to know about Jesus. You can know all the arguments that are written in books, but there are some things that the Holy Spirit just gives you when you're sitting on a log under the stars, right? There are some things you just have to experience, and Jesus is one of those things. And I'll bet you those two stacks of books, one stack was written by people who have experienced Jesus, and one stack was written by people who haven't. One stack was written by people who have felt Jesus burning in their hearts, and one stack was written by people who thinks he's just some guy, dust and bones in a hole somewhere. I don't know how to answer all your questions. I don't. I'm reading every day trying to figure it out. But I don't know how to answer all your questions. I don't know how to make all the problems in your life go away. I can only tell you what's worked for me. Clinging to Jesus. I don't know who you think he is. I don't know who, who everyone out there says he is. To me, he's the Christ. He's the one who saves. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.